today is a, a little bit of a one-off message that um, is going to be a, uh, just, just one day today that we want to just pause and think about a few things differently. And I want to start by saying this, this at first. You know, generally... I'm an optimistic person, and uh, I tend to see good in things and uh, the, the bright side of things, and I'm also an opportunistic person, and not in a negative way, but in often seen, uh, even in sometimes a difficult situation, where there might be some opportunity for growth or progress or um, movement. And one of the things that happens to optimistic and opportunistic people is sometimes we rarely stop to acknowledge a struggle or things that need to be grieved. This hit me when uh, the first time we led our pilot Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course and one of the, the themes was grief and loss. And even though I read the material and walked through it several times, that evening hit me that I struggle with grief and loss and sometimes to even express it and acknowledge it. This last year, we're coming up two, two weeks from now, we're coming up to a year since this pandemic hit and society has been in uh, definitely a changed moment. Now, the last year hasn't been earth shattering. We're not at war. We're still eating, but it's come with its challenges and it's come with some difficulties and while the, the storm encompasses all of us, uh, some of us are in different boats and some of us have experienced the storm differently. A couple of weeks ago, we finished a series on the wilderness through Exodus uh, chapter 16 to 18. And we, we, we walked through these wilderness themes and I tried my best to apply it as broadly as possible because not all of us are going through the same thing at the same time. And one of the things that I didn't do was uh, maybe kind of think about what it means for us as a church, specifically to be in a wilderness season. And I want to pause today and just reflect on, on maybe what this last year has uh, partly been for us in the wilderness with some challenges and what God might be calling us to. I want to just share a couple. And as I share a couple of challenges, I want you to think about what that means for you. And also maybe write some down, uh, post it on the comments, send us an email uh, at connect at westsidegathering.com to help us all understand the moment we're living in and particularly as a church. So here, here's one of the first challenges I want to share that's been, I think, very personal to me and to many of us. The inability to gather our whole church together. <laughs> Some of you recall what it means to be in this space and to be together and to just walk across the room and say hi to someone or worship with full sound and chat with someone in the lobby and offer to pray for someone or all those pieces of what it means to gather our whole church family in one space. Maybe you remember our large Easter gatherings or when we saw Christmas packed out here. For us as a church community, our history kind of leans towards even finding this in a more special way because for 15 years or so, we rented a Sunday facility and then we made the move to lease a space for 10 years and we saw the opportunity and still do. And this year, we grieve not being able to have everybody in here in the same time. Still use the space and still tried our best in that, but man, we grieve that. A few months ago, back in the fall, we saw 80 or 90 people here within the restrictions and it felt like we packed out the place. And when we had the lower down to 25 people, it was still awesome to have people in this space or pray in this space. 
This last fall, there was a youth uh, event on a Thursday night, and I happened to be by at the beginning, and a few of us were standing in the lobby together, and this is just before the kind of the, the red zone hit, and there was a mom that was uh, standing outside in the lobby, and she, she works in the healthcare system, and she was describing a very difficult situation she was walking through, and here, here we are, maybe five or six of us, all like six feet apart, right, and our masks on, and listening intently to what she's sharing And in that moment, one of us offered and said, hey, can we just pray for you? She needed wisdom. And so symbolically, we laid our hands on her from a distance in a sense, right? And we just prayed for her. And we felt like the church was in action, serving each other and ministering to one another. When we worship and we learn collectively and we pray together and we have conversations and we have communion together, and yet in the last year, oh, we grieve not being able to do that as a whole. We grieve that. I just want to name that today. A couple of other things we grieve. I think this is one we grieve, but we don't always notice. We've grieved the loss of spontaneous connections. You know, here in our church community, we might know one another and some more than others, but we're not best friends with everyone. We don't all, you know, go out to eat or all uh, hang out at someone's house, even though I'd love to see that happen more. But we are a church family. And sometimes even the, the, the smaller connections, the lighter connections, are the ones that we don't even realize that we're missing. The spontaneous points of contact that help us stay connected, that even help us meet new people. Back in the fall, while we were doing an initiative to help um, a project overseas called Bucket of Thanks, uh, someone rang the doorbell here at the church building, and I went outside, and there was a, a woman that was walking close to the building with a box in her hand, and I said, I introduced myself, and I asked who she was, and she said, oh, hi, uh, my name's Elaine, and we, we've been in the neighborhood uh, for a few months. We moved into, into the province, and uh, we've been connecting with the church, and I, I was like, oh, okay, because she brought this box with this bu- for the Bucket of Thanks initiative we were doing, but I literally had to say, like, who are you? I don't know you. I've never met them. And it was a really cool moment, but at the same time, it made me realize the loss of spontaneous connections we've missed over the last year. These spontaneous encounters that actually fill me up personally, and I'm sure fill many of you up personally. Atlantic Monthly, a magazine, wrote recently about the loss that we cannot articulate. Because many of us gravitate to a few people we know or one or two neighbors we know or a family member that we will maybe Zoom with, we, we don't even recognize the loss of connection we have in the, in the other social realms or social environments like at the water cooler or in the boardroom or walk into the bus after work with a colleague. (laughs) This article stated that 56% of people met their spouse at work. That was before Zoom and before we only saw each other on Zoom and not out of anything else. And we feel that loss as a church too. All those spontaneous connections, those spontaneous conversations, those spontaneous moments that the Holy Spirit uses for us to minister to each other or be ministered to. We grieve that. We grieve how little that's happening right now. One of the third things that I try to articulate what we grieve is the limitations or the obstacles to organize and catalyze ministry and mission in large ways. 
Um, man, that, that's been a little bit of a struggle to get large number of people serving together. The, the extra work that it takes for us to make a connection or uh, do an event within restrictions or plan something like our, our Christmas drive-through, but make sure that we're, we're following the orders and doing it right and, 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 and just being sensitive to people. Man, that's been, that's been tough. I think we would maybe understand that even pre-COVID, many Christ followers struggled to uh, live evangelistically, to have a, a sense of personal evangelism, you know, alerting people to the gospel and the kingdom of God in our world. And I think in COVID, it's become more um, kind of stunted and difficult. There's a research firm that says that one-third of Christians are not connecting with their church regularly these days. One-third, 33%. The efforts to help us engage and grow and connect is like three times the energy over this season. And the idea of planning ahead is almost out the window. It's like you're planning week to week, month to month. And maybe that's, that's a good thing, but we can at least say, and I can say, oh, I, we grieve some of the obstacles some of the limitations. It's been difficult for some of our leaders. And then lastly, I think the separation that hinders growth or hinders um, personal spiritual growth, hinders our passion for mission, hinders our awareness of each other's needs, out of sight, out of mind. And we grieve that. We grieve that. There's things over this last year I'd say has been a challenge for the church, our church locally and for the church at large. And I'd love you just for a moment, just to maybe, maybe add a comment uh, if you're watching live or later on, or send us a note by email at connectedwestsidegathering.com because we want to, in a sense, grieve together. We want to name what the challenges are as a church so we can grieve together and bring it to the Lord together. So even right now, just kind of comment that. We want, we want to be able to share it and read it and, and think about it and sit with it for a moment. And then just to agree today, hey, We've, this has been challenging. This has challenged the church. This has been hard. This has been discouraging. And we just name it and grieve it. And in some ways, it helps us recognize what we need and what we miss and what we need long-term, even if in the short-term we've missed some of these things. And as I was thinking about our challenges, I was, I was looking within the scriptures to see what we might be called to in this season. But it led me to the letter of Hebrews. And... Uh, in chapter 10, it describes a certain kind of suffering that the church is going through. Chapter 10, verse, verse 32, says this. Here's the writer, says to this church in the first century. He says, hey, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. 
This is a powerful description of what they were going through specifically at the time. Now, just to step back, because I want to interpret this well, we must not pretend that we're experiencing this kind of suffering in this season because we're not. The, the, The world is experiencing a pandemic and the world is in a storm and we're all in this storm together. And I want to be careful not to paint the pandemic in equal measure to early church suffering or targeting of their faith because many, in the world, believer and unbeliever, are facing struggles in this season. However, we can take this and say, how can we name our struggle? How can we name what we're facing or the challenges or what we're grieving and learn from the church's move to persevere in the middle of that? Now, we might persevere different with different struggles, but we're still called to persevere. And I know that in this season, what has been tempting for many Christ followers and many churches has been just to relent, just to be like, you know what, Uh, we'll continue mission when the pandemic's over. Uh, We'll we'll reach out to our church friends uh, when this is over. Uh, You know, one day we'll resume uh, prayer collectively. Uh, One day we'll, we'll, we'll continue serving the neighborhood. And in some ways, we're tempted to become apathetic. We're tempted to just put our hands in the air and say, I will wait till this is all over. And yet, in the middle of Hebrews, they're called to something They're called to persevere, but if we just backtrack a couple of verses, we read, I think, a few areas where God calls the church in every season, suffering or not, to a few things. Here's what we read from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know if you caught this, but there's at least three things that the church is called to in this specific text. And we're not looking all of scripture. We're looking at this right now. But the first thing is, in in the middle of this, they're called and we're called to draw near to God. That's right up there. And in fact, the three calls are listed with let us, let us, let us. Let us draw near to God. We're called to draw near to God with intimacy and with closeness to God. The context of this is is worship. The context of this is also our access to God. And it's made possible because of what Jesus Christ has done. The writer describes it as the new and living way provided by Christ when he went to the cross and resurrected and sent his Holy Spirit. We now have the ability to be in relationship with God in a personal way. And the writer says, draw near to God. And 
I know we're called to do that. And yet this pandemic has somehow shown us how much we relied on church gatherings to help us nurture our relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to scrap church gatherings. And as I remember having a conversation with John Wayne in our church a couple of months ago saying like, actually not meeting has shown us how much we need the church. So it, it, it reveals some of the cracks. Now, while the pandemic has showed us we rely on these church gatherings, here's the thing. While we can never replace the purpose of gathering or how much corporate worship nurtures our relationship with God, we cannot neglect this call that we find right here in Scripture. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. And as much as it's so beautiful and so vital that we come and do that together, and one day we will, I encourage you in this season to draw near to God, whether you're doing it like this digitally, but also on your own. To fight through maybe the awkwardness or some of the hesitancy you have or some of the inexperience you might feel you have and just pursue God's presence. And we hear this call throughout the New Testament. Jesus says, abide in me. God calls us to rest in him. We're invited to speak to God clearly and openly. We're called to listen to him and make room for his voice. We're called to worship and be in his presence. Here's the thing. During a season like we've been in, Netflix and puzzles are awesome. But they're only temporary distractions from what our heart truly needs. And none of that stuff could ever replace what it means and what we experience when we draw close to God and dwell in his presence, in him and with him. And so I want to encourage you and just kind of call out to you today, don't let your relationship with God or your intimacy with God grow stale in this season. He longs to be present with you. In fact, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But sometimes what happens is we just allow the temporary distractions to replace, become a substitute for the full life that God wants to offer us and give us. As Jesus says that when we put our trust and faith in him, streams of living water will flow from us. God wants us to experience that. Let us draw near to God. Here's the second calling we see in in Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we confess. This is the living hope that the New Testament alerts us to, that we have in Jesus Christ, this new hope found in the cross and resurrection, in the promise of new creation that's actually all over this text, even as as the writer tells them later on when when he, he, he highlights their suffering. He says, hey, you know, even though you have... Uh, been with those in prison and your property has been confiscated, you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Why? Because they have a hope that they confess to, that they hold unswervingly to. And we're called to hold on to that hope in the middle of our lives and be faithful in it and faithful to it. You know, let's be honest, eh? history teaches us that there is struggle around the corner. 
I'm not being pessimistic here. I'm not saying, I'm not a doomsday, or I'm not saying, hey, tomorrow's going to rain. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that history helps us understand that, that, that global things take place. A pandemic happened in 1918, and it, it took the world by storm. And there's been world wars that have happened. There's been struggles. There's been the brokenness and violence of humanity that causes pain for other people. There's our, what happens in our own hearts and how we treat one another. There's often struggle around the corner in this life. And and what we're called to is we're saying, what this is saying here is true hope is not found at the end of your personal struggle, at the end of the world war, at the end of this pandemic, but in God's ultimate end of struggle that is coming in the future that we hold on to, this future new creation, new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem. Read the last two chapters of Revelation and tells us that one day there will be no more tears and no more pain. That is the ultimate end of God's story for us. God says, hold on to this hope that you profess. Many of us lost loved ones in the last year. And our family was one of those. And most recently, this last fall, I've shared with you guys, we lost, I lost my sister-in-law. My twin brother's wife passed away. And there was nothing about COVID that made that happen. It was a cancer that was eating away at her for over two years or more. And this October, it took her life. And what we noticed till the end, which was something that was extraordinary as we grieved and continue to grieve, is the hope she held literally unswervingly. And that's, that's a strange word, wait, like we don't normally use that word. But to swerve means to go left and right or to swerve off course. But the writer is saying, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I saw my sister-in-law, Janet, hold unswervingly to the hope she confessed in Jesus and the hope for new creation. I heard it in her words. I heard it in her prayers. I heard it in how she prepared her kids. I heard it in, in, in my brother's conversation and what they're even remembering of her today because she held to that hope. And so my call to you and me, well, what are we called to as a church? We're called to this, to remind ourselves of it, to immerse ourselves in it, to confess it, to proclaim it. Hold on to this hope. And here's this last, this last call that I think is so relevant in the season we're in, and it's the one that we're tempted to do the least, I think, or maybe just leave on the side as theological theory. And it's when the writer says this, and it's an exciting one, eh? He says, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us spur one another on in love and good deeds. Now, when we take that phrase together, I don't want to parse it out. Love and good deeds is, is very likely a broad way of calling us to, to serve one another in the church and to serve the world around us in the name of Jesus. We get that very clearly all throughout the New Testament. And this, this, this call to us, it's not a theory. It's not just a badge we put on a church. Oh, the church is in the neighborhood for the good of people. It's something we're called to. It's something we're called to act on. And it, it, it manifests in serving each other, in caring for one another, in bearing with each other's burdens, in reaching out to one another, in visiting one another, or visiting the sick, or, or serving the poor, or providing for each other. And, and many of the one and others in the New Testament just attest to this. It's not a theory. 
It's not a label. It's not a vision, just a vision statement. It's not just a banner you put on the wall. It's not just something that you try and prove to the world for a, a charity status. It's not something that we try and, 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 and use to our benefit. It's something we're called to do. Love and good deeds. And it's so rooted in the great commandment, right? Where Jesus is asked how he would sum up the law and the prophets in Matthew chapter 22. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament, the trajectory of the scripture until he shows up, hangs on these two commands that are inseparable. And while loving God is foundational, Jesus ties loving your neighbor as yourself into this. He says the second is like it and all the law and the prophets hang on both these commands. Not just the first one, but both. And what's amazing here is as you look through the New Testament, while, God, while loving God is foundational, the New Testament authors don't quote the first command in specific quotes, but they do quote the second one several times. Romans chapter 13, Paul calls the Roman church to love their neighbor. Galatians chapter 5 says that when we, we fulfill the law by loving our neighbor, James chapter 2 verse 8 calls us in the same way to love our neighbor. And what's amazing is if you read 1 John, uh, all of it, or specifically chapter 4, it's inseparable. One who loves God cannot not love their neighbor You cannot love God if you're not loving one another. You cannot love God if you're not loving your neighbor. The New Testament helps us understand that they just reiterated this truth. And it fits so beautifully into Hebrews 10. That we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, here's something I know. While this pandemic comes with challenges, it should not and cannot hinder the call to love neighbor. The writer says this, right? Consider how you would, and here's this word, spur one another on. To spur one another on means to stir up something in us. To provoke something in each other. To catalyze something in each other. And the word consider means to take thought of, to reflect on, to think about, to be creative. Or Eugene Peterson says, be inventive in how you provoke each other towards love and good deeds. This is really intentional. I mean, this is like the writer's telling us like straight up, hey, you better think about what this means. You better be innovative. Sometimes you're going to feel suppressed in doing this. Sometimes there's going to be obstacles to loving good deeds and loving your neighbor. Sometimes it's going to feel harder than other seasons. Sometimes you're going to lack the resources. Sometimes you're going to lack the energy. But consider how you can provoke each other towards this. And I'll say it this way. Here's the line that will come up on the screen, and I want to read it with you. And I wrote it out this way. To creatively and consistently think of ways we can stir each other up to love and care for each other and the world. Creatively, consistently think of ways we can stir each other up towards love and good deeds for one another within the church community and for the world around us. See, here's this false perception. The false perception is we can't be the church in this season. That that, That unless we're all in the same room, we can't be the church. But here's the reality. Instead, we can actually 
grow to be the church God calls us to in this season when we think about loving our neighbor. And I know what some of you are thinking because you're, you're thinking, Dave, I know you read the Bible, so you read the next section that says, don't neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And yes, there were some that the writer is saying, hey, uh, you have been neglecting meeting together with the church. You need to be with the church. You need to be connected with the church. And so we get this caution. Don't neglect meeting together. And here's the thing. We can allow this caution in Hebrews to become an obstacle to be in the church. Because we may say, oh, well, because we, we can't fully be in the same room together at the same time, we can't possibly provoke each other towards love and good deeds. Because our perception is that only when we gather in the same room can we be the church. And don't get me wrong, we will gather one day and we will all be together in this space and we will not neglect the meeting of each other. That's, that's going to happen. But we can be the church right now. And our church is gathering on a Monday night discussion group in the virtual lobby after we're done here today and the prayer groups during the week and, and youth, guys and girls and all together evenings and the Kids Quest packages that are being prepared and picked up and, and, and all these pieces. It's the local church faithfulness together. Is it stunted? Does it feel different? Is there limitations? 100%. But we're being creative in how we can stir one another up towards love and good deeds. Now, here's the real caution in this little line. Don't neglect meeting together. The caution is not merely about abandoning the meeting on Sunday morning. The real caution is that we should be careful not to abandon our intentional connection to our local body. You can, you know what, you can finish up with us today or switch us off right now and you can watch any other live stream across the world. You can. I know you can. There's a lot of better speakers than me too for the next few minutes that you can listen to. But we're called to be the local body of Christ. We're called to be the church. The, the, the caution here is to be careful not to abandon our intentional connection as the local body of Christ. And we can still do that in creative ways right now. And the reality is there's many of us that used to show up weekly but neglect the body. There's many of us who used to sit right there or there in our gathering and still neglect the body weren't involved in ministry or serving others or even open to being served. That can happen even when we gather. And yet I know there are some of us that are, many of us that are watching right now that, that stay connected only digitally that are actually deeply connected to the body and are looking for ways to love and care and worship and pray. Long term, not meeting has its challenges. And if the whole world was allowed to, get, to gather together but the church was stopped and targeted specifically, we would figure out ways in how to do that like history has shown us. But as the whole world is limited in gathering, as the whole world is limited in being with one another, we can be this light that shines in the world. We can still provoke love and good deeds towards each other and towards the world around us. We can still draw near to God. We can still hold on to the hope we have. We can still stir each other up towards loving our neighbor. Wouldn't it be amazing if that at the end of this pandemic, people would look back and say, the church, this local church, whatever local church they're referring to, during the pandemic, they were provokers of love. They were instigators of good deeds. 
They were catalysts for loving their neighbor. They sacrificed, they sacrificed themselves and their own gathering times. They sacrificed their own resources to help those around them. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could be known as provokers of love and instigators of good deeds and be inventive in how we do it? That we would be people who stir up stuff for God's kingdom. As Peter says, that they would see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. That we would live good lives among the world around us. I want to be careful because some of us are going to cheer this on because it's a good theory, but not do it. I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want us to be that kind of church that we just cheer this on like a great banner, but then don't do it. Let me end with a story or two. Um, there's a couple in our church. They're actually in the vulnerable category uh, in terms of age for this virus. And uh, when this pandemic hit almost a year ago, I found out that they were still connected to their local food bank. Every Monday, they would go in limited numbers. They'd have their mask and their gloves and they'd be separated. And them and 10 other people, as a vulnerable people group, they still went and, and packed food packages and stuff for, that would be delivered to those under-resourced in their neighborhood. They took the risk themselves as a vulnerable people that could have been exposed to the virus and they still went and served their neighbors. They, they provoked love and good deeds. This couple has provoked a couple of other things in our church well and what it means to host here tangibly on a Sunday and what it means to help us serve uh, the world, you know, across the world and a bunch of other things. It's been beautiful to see an example. And I'm, they're not the only ones, but I'm just thinking of them today as they've helped us draw near to God and hold on to hope and provoke each other with love and good deeds. I, 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 was, I was kind of torn a couple of weeks ago when we had our blood donor clinic here in this space because there was 25 or so people here and I was looking at them and in some ways I said, we could be 25 worshiping, we could be 25 praying, we could be 25 encouraging. But then I just stopped and said, hey, you know what, God, you have given us this space, you have given us this energy, you've given us resources for us to be a blessing to the, to the neighborhood. And over 65 people are going to get blood or elements of blood or whatever that works out for Hema Quebec because we offered this space. But you know what? Some of our team that was here that day, we met an amazing guy named Aldo who served for 10 or 15 years with Hema Quebec. I met a wonderful woman named Diane. She's a senior citizen who recently volunteered herself in a clinical trial for one of the vaccines being produced in Montreal. And you know what she said to me? She said, someone has to take a step. Someone has to take the risk so others can get this vaccine. I met this 20-something-year-old girl in, out in the lobby. She came later on and served as one of the hosts with Hema Quebec. And, and she thought we were a corporate building. And then Aldo said, hey, this is a church. And she said, really? This is a church? You guys let us use your space today? And then as our team, you know, Beth and others had music and other stuff playing, she said, this is the best environment for a blood drive I've ever been in. I just love being here. And that just touched my heart. That, that said, oh, here we are for the neighborhood. But I want to end with this last story that I think is the most important for me and it encourages me the most. Many of you know that we've run the Alpha course here at Westside and 
And it's, it's all over the world. And it started 20 years ago by someone named Nikki Gumbel. And Nikki Gumbel started the Alpha Course, eight or ten sessions where people learn the basics of Christianity in a, in a real friendly way. And Nikki was, was convinced that you needed three elements for Alpha. You needed people in a room around a table. And you needed uh, food because food was so important to do Alpha. And it just disarmed people and helped them chat and talk. And then you needed, you know, just the, the right kind of content to express the Christian faith. And then trust that the Holy Spirit's going to work. And Nicky Gumbel shared that that first Alpha he ever led, he was so nervous. He was wondering if God was going to do something. And they do something later on in Alpha called the Holy Spirit Weekend, where they take a chunk of time and just help people process who the Holy Spirit is and, and, and to welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they start the session with a simple prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. And Nicky was so nervous. He said, I, God, I pray you show up. I pray you do something. And he was blown away 20 years ago when they did that. And the Holy Spirit showed up. And people were, were drawn close to God. And there was restoration and healing and conversion. It was beautiful. And since then, Nikki and his wife has, have personally led over 90 sessions, 90 courses, alpha courses. 90 over the, over the last 20 years, personally. And so here in 2020, 20 years later, last year, pandemic hits. They've already started their Alpha course. They haven't hit the Holy Spirit weekend yet. Everything closes down. And they're like, what are we going to do? We need food. We need chairs. We need a circle. We need a space. And they moved online. And Nikki had the same nervousness, the same anxiety from that first Alpha when they were approaching the Holy Spirit weekend. He's like, this is not going to work. God, are you going to work? Are you going to do something? I mean, how can I say, Holy Spirit, come on Zoom? Does this even happen? God, are you, do you care about, are you on Zoom? And so, so they approached this first Holy Spirit weekend in this alpha that was disrupted by the pandemic. They started and sim, sim, just the simple prayer, come Holy Spirit. And Nikki says, 20 years later, God blew me away. God just broke my imagination. He worked in such a powerful way in our group, all connected digitally. But people were experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit as they were connected through Zoom. And he said that our Alpha course in COVID had a better retention rate. Less people left during halfway through the course. More people stayed connected. More people came to Christ and made decisions to follow Christ. And get this, that in regular seasons, they would run three Alpha courses a year at their church. After COVID hit, they started one course a week and they haven't stopped for a year. One course a week. You know what that tells me? That tells me that, that the calling that we have as a church can't be stopped by restrictions. Can't be stopped by limitations of how many can be in a building or not. Can't be stopped by that. That God can work immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his, whole, his power at work within us. If the Holy Spirit can draw and convict and heal and unite over Zoom, can't he empower the body of Christ, you and me, to draw near to him? To hold unswervingly to the hope we confess and to think creatively and inventively and innovatively in how we can provoke and catalyze one another towards love and good deeds. 
So today, I, I, want, I wanted us to name our challenges because there are challenges and we can grieve them. But I also wanted us to name our calling and fulfill it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, forgive us for not trusting you. Forgive us for underestimating you. Forgive us for not responding to your voice when you prompt us to make that FaceTime call to a friend that we haven't seen in a while. When you prompt us to alert someone in our network or family or friends of, of your kingdom. When we, when we neglect the voice of your spirit to serve or give or take a risk, like those in the senior citizen category that still serve that food bank. Oh God, forgive us when we neglect that your spirit is calling us and nudging us and prompting us. God, we, we want to name the things we grieve in this season, and we do grieve them. We do grieve them. We do lament some of the things we feel we can't do in this season. But God, let us hear your call towards us with a loud voice. May our ears hear and our eyes see. And may we surrender to the voice of your spirit and say yes when you prompt us. Oh, Holy Spirit, call us deeply to draw near to God, to hold on to our hope in Christ, and to consider how we can provoke one another towards love and good deeds and love our neighbor. Help us to be the church today, not just when this is over, but today in what you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.